Welcome again, everyone, uh, here on this Easter Sunday. Uh, it's always such a joyous day to see everyone here, uh, see all the people. I get the joy of retelling the Easter story again, year after year, telling of how our Lord was raised from the dead. Now, you know how I kind of like to look at different things in the Bible, maybe highlight things we haven't seen or thought about or maybe noticed as much. This year, as I was sitting down, there was an image that stuck in my mind. It was this one. This particular painting. And, and it stuck in my mind. I just I couldn't, get it out. I couldn't get it out of my mind. It's Mary Magdalene there, reaching out for Jesus. And Jesus is telling her not to hold on to him, that it isn't time yet, that he isn't ready. Now, a lot of this, of course, is the artist you know, at interpreting, you have to. Things like reaching out to grab him. The Bible doesn't actually say she reached out, just that he told her not to hold on. So we kind of assume he wouldn't say that if she didn't reach. And then, of course, you have Mary, you have Jesus giving her the hand. Right? Giving her the hand. I don't know if you remember from, like, 20 years ago, Dan Brown, the guy who wrote that Da Vinci Code, that great work of literary that masterpiece up there with Shakespeare and Tolstoy. Oh, it was great literature, right? The guy made a gazillion trillion dollars arguing that Mary Magdalene was actually Jesus' wife. And his proof, his proof was this. Because he said, well, you know, in that culture, women weren't supposed to touch men they weren't related to, so that proves that if she reached out, he had to have been her husband, otherwise... She, she would have done a taboo, so therefore, that proves they were married, and there's weird stuff under the Vatican. And uh, I look at this, I look at this, and I kind of think, dang, if they were married, and he'd been gone all weekend, <laughs> mysteriously, and came back, and she reached out, and he said, woman, don't touch me. If they were married before, they aren't married now. <laughs> woman? Woman? Like, try that. Try that. See how that goes over. But the image, for the most part, I think this image is fairly close. And it's stuck in my head. Maybe it's, it's, it's Mary's exasperated look, you know? She's joyful and excited, getting rejected at the same time. Sticks in your head, so I'm going to leave it there to soak in for a little bit. She sees Jesus, right? And she doesn't immediately recognize that it's him. She thinks he's the gardener. Apparently, when we are raised, we will have green overalls, like they do in the cemetery. And so she thinks he's the gardener, but then she figures it out. And when she figures it out, he tells her, don't hold on to me, which is why we assume she reached out. But something had happened to Jesus between when he was laid in the ground and when he was back there, when he reappeared. And that something made him look really different, not spectacularly different. Like I told the kids, he didn't grow wings. He wasn't glowing, beaming lights. He was changed. And he wasn't an angel. Mary didn't think she, he was an angel. The truth is she had just seen two of them. She had something to compare to. She did not assume he was an angel after just seeing them. Instead, he looks like a groundskeeper. And different enough 
different enough that after three years of following Jesus all around, listening to his sermons, being with him literally to the day he died, she didn't recognize him. So what happened was a change, a big change, a change to a body that made him look different to somebody very close to him, which is what we know happens in the resurrection. The Apostle Paul talks about being transformed like a seed into a tree. We know the resurrection is not like just resuscitating a body, right? Like getting one of those electronic zapper pads. I know that's not the technical term for everybody here in medicine, but right? That's kind of how we sometimes think of it. Oh, he was there and they went, and God came down and went, and he came up. No, that's not it. It's not a reanimation. We know it's not a spirit or a ghost thing. That theory's been around for a while. We know it's not a ghost because Jesus said, don't try to hold on to me. If Jesus was just a ghost, he just would have stood there and she would have reached out her hand and gone right through him like Kylo Ren did. Star Wars joke. But we know, we know there was a body involved, so it wasn't just a feeling. I've heard that one too. You know, that, that, that the disciples sat around and they realized yeah, we realized what a great guy Jesus really was. When they all shared in that great feeling, that mutual feeling, that was the resurrection right there. Really, she tried to reach out to get a feeling? No, what we know, what we know is that it was a body and it was transformed. And all these different attempts at explanations are, are try, ways of trying to put the resurrection back into human terms, to put God into categories that make sense to us that don't require us to rethink things. It allows us to keep our assumptions about how the world works, allow us to keep our assumptions without uh, rethinking that maybe God is doing something different than just animating people or giving us insights. The resurrection is about change, transformation, being made into something new. Jesus wasn't reanimated, he was changed. It was a physical body, but a changed physical body. But accepting that someone has changed, accepting that someone has changed and running with it, that isn't easy. Because being with someone who's changed is hard. Right? It means you have to adapt with them. You have to adapt too. And sometimes we kind of liked the person we were with before. We kind of liked the old person Sometimes, you know, you're not always happy you like the new and improved person. Maybe they were less intimidating. Maybe it felt less threatening or whatever it was. But, you know, you're with someone and then suddenly they go and they, they, they make some big improvement. They get a degree. They get a new job. They get a big promotion. Now they're not, who the, now they're a different status. Maybe they go out and they get all buff suddenly. And, and you're, really, you're thinking like, man, do I have to change to keep up with this? I mean, how many times have we seen marriages get on the rocks? Because one person suddenly goes through an improvement of some sort, and now the other person kind of loses confidence. Maybe it gets a little insecure. Do I have to keep up with this? So they wake up, and they feel like they're with a new person. And even if that new person never does anything wrong, never cheats, never makes a bad thing, they can tell the attention's coming, it's different. Makes you wonder. Or it could go the other way. 
Right? We get older, our bodies change. We don't look like we did when we were dating or in college, before we had kids. But we don't look like we did when we were back on the track team running five hours a day. We don't, you know? Our bodies change and we become different, and we even get a different interests and we, we get different places in life. And sometimes you get, after a while, you start to wonder, am I still with the same person? I'd be honest with anyone who came to me at, uh, for asking for the advice. I'd say, the person you marry now, A, expect them not to, A, plan on them not changing, but B, expect them that they totally will. Because by the time you reach till death do us part, you'll be a different person. You're a different person you started with. It's a little... The change, the question is, can you change with them? Can you change with them? Or will you hold on to them and try to keep them as they were? Or how you wish they were? Let's go back to the scripture here. Let's look at John 20, starting at verse 15. I'll highlight this again. Supposing him to be the gardener, Mary said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. I know you want me to be who I was, who you remember, who you were with for three years, but it can't happen. I can't be who I was. I have to move on. I have to keep changing. I have to keep following the path that my Father has laid out for me. I, I have to follow the plan. You can't hold on to me. You have to let me change. Mary Magdalene was always one of the smarter of the disciples. She usually picked up things quicker. She doesn't argue with him like I picture Peter would have. You know, Jesus would have said, Peter, you can't hold on and, and and Peter would go, but Lord, I must hold on. We have to hold on. Don't go. And Jesus would say, I already told you to get behind me once, Peter. <laughs> Mary Magdalene, she seems to grasp things a little quicker. She doesn't get into a big argument about this. But I feel for her instinct. You love someone as they are. The qualities they have matter to you. So can you support them moving up, moving on? If you love someone, let them raise. If you love someone, let them transform. If you love someone, let them be new. Let them grow. Don't hold on to them. Let Jesus be Jesus and don't hold on to who you thought he was at first. Because even Jesus will probably change for you. I look back. I think about how I thought about Jesus when I was young. And you can kind of think if you go back in your own head like, what are the qualities that were big qualities that you thought about Jesus when you were young? I think I tended to look at Jesus as kind of a, a, a giver of morals who occasionally dispensed favors. I tended to think about him giving rules and sometimes answering prayers, but only sometimes. And I'd obsess about what he was and wasn't watching me doing, like he was some sort of big, you know, spy satellite and I'd sit and I'd obsess and pray for him to help me win competitions. I thought, you know, for sure if I pray more, he'll help me win. And Jesus was like, no, you're not good enough. You don't deserve that trophy. I know that in hindsight. 
I'll admit I never thought a whole lot about Jesus in the context of the Roman Empire, of him uh, you know, being the guy that people thought was a king that was going you know, to change the world, that he got killed for political reasons. I didn't think of him as much about the guy who hung out with sinners and tax collectors and seemed way more concerned with how we treat the poor than what we do in the bedroom. And I never thought of Jesus as the sort of power of God to transform hearts and and transform my mind to someone who would make me more loving, but more confident and more conscious and more compassionate. I didn't think of Jesus as someone who could speak into my heart and not just a favored dispenser. But that's where I am now. And I'm not sure that Jesus I had as a kid as much as the same as the one I pray to today. They have so little in common. It's kind of like that question about when you repair a boat. You know those old wooden boats? And then a plank would break. And then they put a new plank on. And then another plank breaks, and they put another plank on. And then the, the, then the rudder breaks, they put a new rudder on. Well, after 100 years, every piece of the boat is a new piece of boat. Is it the same boat? You can go to Boston Harbor and you can see a tall ship sitting right there from the 1700s. There's like three pieces of wood left in it from the 1700s. Is it the same boat? Is it the same boat? Or has so much changed? If Jesus seems so fundamentally different to me now, does that mean he's changed or just my understanding of him? Or does it mean that I've changed and he's been with me the whole time? Because this much I know. That the Jesus I prayed to then is the same Jesus I pray to now. The voice is the same. The person is the same. I just see him differently. Let's, let's read that passage again. We'll back up one more verse. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? She said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where they'd laid him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said in Hebrew, which means Rabuni. Mary did not know Jesus by looks, because his body had changed. But when he spoke her name, she knew right away. The voice that spoke was the same voice that she had heard. Now, the voice itself was different because the first sentence Jesus says, she doesn't get it. It's not tone of voice, but there's something about when she, he speaks her name. There was something there in the connection. There was something there in the connection that was deeper. And she recognized that. And when she heard her name, she knew this was the guy. She knew when she listened to him call her name that this was the Jesus that she knew and loved her all these years. She could not hold on to him, but she could listen to him. And though he had changed, the connection was still there, and she felt it, and she knew it right away. That's why she could let him go. She knew it was him. She didn't need to hold on to the old Jesus or try to grasp him like a possession or try to cling to what he used to be or try to keep him as he was because she knew, she knew in her heart that it was him. His body had changed, but he was still there. This is resurrection. 
It's so much more than about bodies coming back or whether we get harps on the clouds. It's about God transforming his own son and speaking his voice into our hearts and our minds, telling us that no matter how much change you go through and how much change you see God go through and how much change your connection goes through, it's still the voice of God calling you by name. You can't hold on to Jesus, but you don't need to. You can hear his voice, and he calls you by name. Amen.